Hi, I'm Caitlin Christine, CEO and founder at Gabby. And Femtech to me is specifically addressing the unique needs of women with technology tailored to our own unique needs. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Caitlin Christine, the founder and CEO of Gabby. Caitlin is a breast cancer survivor who has made it her life's mission to empower women to understand their bodies and advocate for themselves. Caitlin's app, Gabby, is solving delayed diagnosis of preventable diseases that affect women, starting with breast cancer. Gabby is the first digital health solution that accurately and inclusively predicts a woman's risk for breast cancer and equips her to take action with community support. Learn more about the app at BGABBY, that's B-E-G-A-B-B-I dot com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany, so excited to be here. Definitely. You look like you're kind of an artist. You're wearing these super stylish glasses. You have like this like abstract art behind you. Is that <laughs> true? Are you? Um, well, I majored in theater in college. I definitely have a creative side, but I would not consider myself an artist by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I theater is art it's it's expressive art right absolutely absolutely yes uh I haven't I haven't acted or directed though in a long time uh fun fact though this painting is was done by one of my friends who is a two-time was a two-time cancer survivor and this third time around um her life was taken. She was 34 when she passed just at the beginning of this year but so she painted this she's an amazing artist Oh, well, it was like shining. It was like, I want to be part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I said that so I can feel it. Yeah, it's a perfect backdrop for these types of conversation. And where are you located? Portland, Oregon. Oregon, cool, 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 cool. Well, we always love to kick off our interviews with learning more about our guests. Um, You know, we are all coming from different backgrounds. We have people from all over the world listening in different phases of their life. Some are in journalism, some are in politics, you know, and everyone wants to know, like, how'd you end up here caring about women's health equality? So where are you from? What'd you study? Did you have a career before this? How'd you end up here? Okay, awesome. Yeah, you know, it... um... It goes back to theater, actually. I was in my senior year of college at the University of Denver as a theater major and English and Spanish minor. I was doing some food writing and I was acting at a a local performing arts center when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I made the decision at that time, just based off of her diagnosis and how severe it was to drop out of my senior year of college with one month left. And I moved home to be my mom's full-time caregiver. 
Mm. Um, my mom ended up passing from that breast cancer eight months later. And I didn't want to do what I had been doing. I wasn't interested in finishing school. I, not to mention, I hadn't even grieved really yet. Um, I wasn't really interested in theater anymore or writing about food. And while that was happening, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, I started exhibiting similar symptoms in my own breasts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm senior college age. So I was 22 and tried to go get a physician to look at it. And they just wouldn't take me seriously. And I really just had to fight to say, Hey, yeah, I know my mom just died, but like this lump is here. And getting pushback of like, even from women physicians, you're just really sensitive because you lost your mom or you're so young. It's not really a concern. And eventually I chose to have a preventative double mastectomy and in surgery was diagnosed with breast cancer at 24. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to let you finish the story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Then we can come back. Totally. Um, So that led me to, holy cow, this is, this is my calling. I don't know what it is, but it's in women's preventative health. So I got a job at Bright Pink, a nonprofit out of Chicago, focusing on early detection for younger women, was then headhunted by the number one genetic testing company in the world, Myriad, to be a national patient speaker for them. They eventually moved me into a BD role where, and that's how I got out to Portland, Oregon, where I was working directly with the health systems and the C-suite executives to set up high-risk protocols and processes to screen them for hereditary cancer syndromes. And that's when this light bulb went off that, holy cow, what happened to my mom, what happened to me, this was not just a one-off incident, but this is a systemic problem. I started seeing that women were not getting the right information. They were not getting the right treatment when they needed it. And it made me angry. So I stewed, and then tried to figure out why and how I could solve it. And the next thing you know, I'm in femtech starting a company. Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, so many people in femtech are solving their own problem. And I think the best entrepreneurs are one that are like, Hey, I struggled with this. And I was like, if the, I was at the end of the road and there was nothing left. And I said, I'm going to do it. Right. So right. I felt that way about starting Femtech Focus. I was like, not having a personal like ailment, but caring so much about all the other women and about the innovation. It was like, why are we not talking about vulvas more in the boardroom? Like we really need to (laughs) y'all. Right, especially if they can make cock jokes, you know, like. (laughs) You know, there's a commercial right now that I've been seeing at night and it's for like hymns and it's like delivery, you know, erectile dysfunction pills. And on the last part of the commercial, it says, get harder, your money back. And I'm like, if they can have get harder, your money back, I want to add that says get wet or your money back and not hear anyone complain. (laughs) Totally. I'm I'm with you. Although there's stigma around wetness for women too. Oh, what do you mean? Have you ever read the book, um, come as you are? We actually just had a femtech book club on it. Yeah. At, uh, at femtech focus, we have a book club. Oh, cool. So, um, she, she, um, does all this research around how not every woman is capable of getting basically, um, being turned on is not, hold on. Let me rephrase. 
getting wet is not an indicator of being turned on for every woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had um, actually Dare Biosciences. It's a publicly traded company. They're trying to create a sexual wellness drug. And we, we discussed, it's really hard to get FDA approval for sexual wellness because it's not about, are you hard? How long did it last? For mm-hmm. women, it's like literal erection, wetness, swollen right. vulva, labias, you know? And so it's like quantifi- quantifying sexual wellness for women is just like, we don't even know. We don't even know where to start on that, you know? Yeah, yeah. That book, she goes into a lot of details about that. That I guess for guys, it's like, when you're turned on, you're hard. And if you're not, there's something wrong. Whereas for women, it's like, when you're t- turned on, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. In this context. Yeah. Oh, we're so beautiful and amazing. Um, (laughs) um, So tell me what is, and I would love to actually go back into your story, but first tell our listeners, what is Gabby? So Gabby is your mom or your best friend or your sister. She is walking you through your specific concerns and healthcare journey. Um, really, so we're, we're B2B to C. So it's really important to clarify that we're selling like our customers, we're selling to the payers, but our end users are women. So a lot of times I'll ask, well, who, who is Gabby for the payers or who is Gabby for women? So Uh for women, Gabby is your mom, your best friend or your sister. She is the person that you can trust to go ask questions. Is this slump concerning? Um, should I talk to my doctor about this? How do I talk to my doctor about this? Um, and she's the person that's going to give you that, those recommendations that you trust that are backed by clinical efficacy. Yep. And then what is it to the payers and by payers, do you mean like insurance? Exactly. Yeah. So health insurance companies think you're like United healthcare or Cigna. Um, so they want to work with us because we're able to, tell them the probability of their female members to get breast cancer and say, Hey, look, this is how much money that you are blowing every year by not intervening in women's lives and giving them access to the most preventative strategies earlier at say a stage three or stage four. We want to make sure that these women get diagnosed at the earliest possible stages when it's the cheapest and most life-saving. Yeah. Um, And I wish life-saving was the only reason they would do it. I know. Whatever business capital. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I always tell people like when I'm talking about vulvas and femtech, I'm like, listen, if you don't have a vulva or you can't find it in your heart to care, let me tell you about it being a trillion dollar market. <laughs> you're gonna be right. It's like, you let me know which angle you need me to take, but, uh, I know <laughs> that's <you>. true, <laughs> but I will still take your money also. Um, <laughs> yes. um, so these, so how did the, how did the end user get it? So I'm, I'm trying to imagine, we also have a lot of, you know, early stage founders trying to figure out their own business model. So if you're having insurances pay you for it, right. They're covering the cost. How do women find out about it? Cause I was on your website, you know, I always check out our companies beforehand and I didn't see a, like download the app now or whatever. And so that's probably why, right. So how do the women find out about it? Yeah, you're right. Which also that's a great reminder. Um, side note, as I'm sure you experienced this too with your business with Femtech Focus, um, you always have to prioritize, right? And the website updates keep coming to the bottom of the prioritization list. So <laughs> it is vastly out of date, but- <laughs> I um, that more than you know, yes. <laughs> 
but you made a great point. Um, right now, our application is not available direct to consumer. So a woman would be able to get Gabby through their health insurance company or through their employer. Hey, okay, got it. Um, one of the things I saw on the website was like, calculate your risk. I really wanted to take the test and be like, so like, here's my number, whatever. Breast cancer does not run in my family. We have plenty of other things that run and then, you know, I have to worry about, but so I don't anticipate my number being very high, but can you describe to our listeners, like, what is a, is it a, like a personality quiz type of thing? You know, like take 10 questions. Is it 50 questions? Is it like, tell us about that. Yeah. So think of it as a questionnaire. That's a perfect way to phrase it. Um, And depending on how you answer certain things, there could be more or less questions. It typically doesn't take anyone more than two minutes. So it's it's very quick. Uh, And that's even with the wide range of questions that are asked. But it asks all these questions that first and foremost, you already know about yourself but that have never really been combined in a way that's meaningful to provide you insights on what your risks are. Mm -hmm. So for example, did you know that the age you started your period can increase or decrease your risk for breast cancer? Did not know that. Same as if you have given birth, what age, if you breastfed, that can increase or decrease your risk. What is the age of uh, getting your period that increases it? Like under what age does it start to have an effect of increasing it? Um, so it, it takes it, it's a variety of factors. Okay. <laughs> it's I a little bit more complicated <laughs> than- I should know better by this point. I and really- in an effort to not give wrong information, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Um, we love also to talk about on our show about like- um, accessibility for uh, all women, and then also being mindful that not every woman is an affluent white woman. (laughs) And so um, how do you incorporate that in your app uh, in terms of, do you also ask about race, ethnicity, and does that change the percentage risk for breast cancer? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, And this is where this could get a little technical. So um, this, this risk assessment or the calculator comes from and is rooted in these other risk models that have been used and standardized in healthcare for women for over 25 years. Um, And the big part of what we're doing is we realize that one, these risk models have only ever been used by clinicians and typically in academic or health system settings. So women can't go and reach these on their own. Um, But even though they're available in that area. And even though they're considered standard of care, only 1% of physicians are actually utilizing them for their patients. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the first problem. But the biggest part of these risk models is that they're really only appropriate for white women who are over the age of 35. Yeah. So what, what we've done is we've developed a proprietary model that allows our model to assess the lifetime risk of any woman of any age of any ethnicity. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) You know, like it's, yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about, and I, I'm obviously current events, I think obviously have an influence on it. We've done a lot of bonus episodes and interviews specifically on black women's health. And, um, you know, given the, the current, um, 
attack on Asian women, I, I'm definitely interested in um, pursuing like more interviews about Asian women's health. You know, we have done some interviews this uh, last week, we did, interviewed somebody who's innovating for South Asian women, which is like an emerging market on top of like not affluent white women. <laughs> and so it's like double, like they don't have like people pursue, assume, assume they have no money and like, we know nothing about them and like, why would we innovate for them? So it's like, oh God. Um, so I'm so glad that y'all are considering that. So if I can chime in there. Um, so our data scientist who is, is the key person in developing these models is a Southeast Asian woman. Yeah. Wow. So that is very much on our radar uh, in kind of everything that we're doing yep. as well. Yeah. hundred percent. Wow. Um, what do I want to ask next? I have so many questions. I want to ask, I wonder which way I go. So I feel like breast cancer for women, I feel like I know it's the pink ribbon. I know it. there's the March, there's save the boobies. There's the dye your hair pink in October, Nike or not Nike, but like NFL sneakers get, you know, or pink. I feel like there's so much awareness. And then I talk to people who are innovating in the breast cancer space. And it's like, you're innovating for really basic stuff. <laughs> like what's your risk? Yeah. You know, and you just told me about your experience of like going to a physician doing what you were supposed to like self-exam and then not believing. So like, where, what am I missing here on the, like, everyone knows and heard about breast cancer and is everyone's like for it and donating. And then there's like, we're still at like mammograms, which are essentially like ancient cameras not, that aren't able to actually even functionally diagnose cancer. Right. So tell me, what am I missing here? Yeah. Well, I mean, what you've highlighted is that organizations like Komen and Bright Pink and NFL, et cetera, have done an amazing job heightening awareness. And, and I think there's, most people would be able to say like, yes, we know that breast cancer occurs in one in eight women in their lifetime um, and associated pink with breast cancer, but it really stops there. Yeah. So, so the, the action, the tools, the earlier detection um, nothing really has been done. It was almost as if the awareness was enough or, or I think maybe we just even chalk it up to one of the older statistics, which is breast cancer only affects older women. And by older women, we're saying women who are 50 and older, mm -hmm. which just isn't true. Um, in our findings of this current pilot that we're executing with a health insurance company, it confirmed our assumption that breast cancer actually occurs pretty frequent in women under the age of 50. It occurs in 30%. Wow. 30% of breast cancer diagnoses are in women under 50. So um, unless you're unless you're getting to the age of 50, a mammogram isn't necessarily on your radar. Um, and like you said, using these old mechanisms to screen and test. And when we just kind of even pull back and we're specifically thinking healthcare for women and how the barrier to entry is so high, I think that's another factor as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so this problem results in a lack of funding. I've recently experienced this when um, I made an investment to prime genomics, which is like a saliva test for breast cancer. 
And I was talking to a bunch of other investors trying to like rally up the troops, rally up the checks. And it was crazy how many people were like, wait, breast cancer is like still a problem. Like that's solved, isn't it? And it's like, no. And that really got me thinking. Cause I was like, I know I kind of thought so too, you know, based on all the pink around, but turns out, no, I'm like, you know, once I did my own due diligence on the deal, I realized like, oh my God, no, we're like so far away. Um, I have another question in terms of that barrier to entry in healthcare. You said that the physicians didn't believe you. And we have that happen a lot with endometriosis, PCOS, you you know, just literally your stitches in your vagina or your C-section aren't right. You know, and the doctor's like, well, you know, women sensitive or whatever, like you're fine. That's supposed to hurt, but we know our bodies. Right. And so do you think that Gabby is going to be able to help? women get believed more or like how, how can we combat that? So I'll answer that with a story, um, of personal experience. So I kind of alluded to my experience with breast cancer. Um, uh, on the other end. So I also happen to be a BRCA1 mutation carrier. So, um, like my mom, we both have the BRCA1 mutation, which on top of um, giving us a really high risk of breast cancer, it also gives us a really high risk of other cancers, one of which being ovarian. Mm -hmm. So I knew because of this risk that around 35, I would need to have my ovaries and tubes removed to prevent getting ovarian cancer because the risk is so high. Well, at 28, um, I, I was going in for transvaginal ultrasounds just to like check much like women who are around 45 and up go in for annual mammograms. And the results of the most recent screening came back concerning. So I looked, I found the result. I talked to my OBGYN and then I called up the gynecologic oncologist because I was like, you know what? I can put this at bay. I know how to solve this problem. Mind you, the key here is this is after I had been working in women's health for like six years. So I call up a gynoc. I get a, I get a referral from a friend who trusts this, you know, gynoc. I go and I meet with her for the first time. And I say, Hey, listen, these are my risks. This is my most recent screening. This is what I've been doing. I know these are my options. This is what I want to do. Like, are you in? And she was like, wow, you certainly done your research. Have you thought about this? And one kind of small question I answered, she was like, okay, So that surgery was scheduled for two weeks from that first and only meeting. I had my ovaries and tubes removed and I'm cancer-free and fine. And the reason I tell that story is that experience was vastly different as me as the informed patient than it was with my breast cancer experience. Mm -hmm. Which was like multiple appointments and double- Exactly. It was multiple appointments. It was me having to do so much of my own research It was me being questioned every step of the way and feeling um, wrong and dumb and hyper because I was trusting my gut, even though I was doing all this research, instead of coming to them with facts specific to me and my body. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, yes, Gabby helps with that. We give you the right insights about your own specific body. And then we equip you with all of these specific options that are available to you that are backed by the medical literature that are clinically validated so that when something comes up that's concerning, you go into your physician and you're like, this is my risks. I know these are my options. This is what I want to do. Mic drop. Yeah. Do you think, 
I mean, I, I love it. And there's like a piece of me that's like, why do we always put it on the woman, (laughs) you know? And so what ways do you think that we can get physicians to believe women more? This is more of a, in general, like you work in women's health. I work in, what do you think? You know, how do you think we can get physicians believing us? So I was going to ask you, do do you, do you think that's the answer is like, instead of putting it on the woman, do you, do you think we need to put it on the physician? I think it's a equal responsibility, a little bit of both. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I should feel empowered because also, you know, if that physician, if you were not going in there informed and they said, Hey, in two weeks, I'm going to take your ovaries out. I also think that would be like, what? Like, what do you mean? You know, but you were also prepared emotionally, like, you know, mentally for that. So I think it's a little bit of both. Sure. No, I agree. Um, I, I by no means think all the onus should fall on the patient, nor do I think all onus should fall on the physician. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, medicine is both science and art. And oh. the 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 failure in medicine and healthcare or or the mistakes that happen are when there's too much that's left up to art. So I would say let's put more of the onus on technology. And that's where, you know, Gabby is fueled by artificial intelligence. And so I would say even still, it's less on the woman. It's more on the technology with the woman together. Yeah. I mean, we're in 2021, y'all. <laughs> right? People are landing rockets on boats, you know, to be reused. <laughs> like, let's figure this out. Um, well, speaking of AI, you know, you need a lot of data in order for that to work. So how many women have used Gabby? Um, so right now we are only in pilots mm-hmm. with um, uh, a couple payers and we are purely doing data analysis and validating our algorithm. Yeah. Um, so no one is, no end user, no female is actually using Gabby right now, okay. but we uh, have 30 million data sets. So I mean, that's a lot of data. Um, when you get, when you talk to the payers, these insurance people, what are you quoting them in terms of like the cost of breast cancer, if not identified early? I think that would be an interesting number. Um, per year, 1.9 billion. Per like in the United States or? In the United States per health insurance. Wow. So so overall, for all the health insurance companies, we're talking it's around $160 billion for a woman to be diagnosed and experience delayed diagnosis of breast cancer. Wow. 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 Like, yeah, that is huge. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, it's a number, right? That's money. It doesn't include all the emotional turmoil. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And, and that's just one year. That doesn't even include the emotional, the family burden, the work burden, the, the cost of care, because it's obviously going to extend past a year, the cost of survivorship, the cost of a um, recurrence. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because yeah. we also have a lot of uh, people come on our show talking about the consequences of radiation. Um, and, you know, I survived. Everyone's happy for me. But now I have these 10 symptoms that really are ruining my life. I, you know, can't hold my urine. I can't have sex. I I'm so cold because of these saline breasts that I have now, you know, like we have all of these different issues. So yeah, the cost is exponential. I feel right. That makes me think about just, so a a common thing that was done was like, Oh, you're having 
you have endometriosis or you're having like really painful periods, let's just take out your uterus or something, uh, basically a hysterectomy. And it's only now that people are starting to have the tough conversations or thinking about that as, wait, hold on. Why is that? The, I mean, let's just for perspective, if a guy was having an issue, who knows what, let's yeah. say, I don't know, there was a drop of blood on the external like head of his penis and the physician said, well, we should probably just chop it off. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like if he couldn't get erected, erect and they decided to cut it off and just subscribe, prescribed him a strap on. Exactly. Exactly. It's exactly. Yeah. That's a better, um, like actual scenario. Time. Just use yes. this. it won't like, you won't be pleasured, but you know, what is that? Yeah. At all. Let's talk about that. Like I have fake boobs that I can't even feel. And Not no mention they. Yeah. And I mean, nipple stimulation personally is like a huge thing for me. I like, I, it's fantastic. It, you know? it was, it was for me too. But nobody's talking about like, oh my God, all these women with breast cancer aren't getting that sensation anymore. Yeah. But like yeah. for a man with this, with this erection analogy, oh you know, that would be the end of the world for them. Oh my God. Oh, I mean, yeah. And you know what? That's why this side, I'm like, that's why those companies raise money like that. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about like hymns, for example. Yeah. Are you, have you fundraised or do you plan to fundraise? Uh, we're raising our pre-seed right now, actually. Good. Awesome. Cool. Um, have you noticed, I mean, I brought this up earlier that, you know, I was helping another breast cancer company kind of fundraise and a lot of people said breast cancer that's solved. Are you getting that comment too? Only from men. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to be fair. And I don't mean that to slight, you know, even how you, how you were perceiving breast cancer. Um, but, uh, I think maybe because I start with the statistics, um, actually that's wrong. I start with my story and then I go into the statistics. Yeah. And so I think that just that tactic kind of put that at bay. Yeah. Um, but women are always like, oh my gosh, like that, that patient journey, that's exactly what happened to me. Or that's what happened to my aunt or my sister or whatever. And then every once in a while, a few men are like, that's what happened to my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am definitely passionate about getting more women in the capital controlling seat so we can stop having to just try to convince men to come on board. Um, Agreed. but, um, I think this is awesome. What are some of your future goals for Gabby? Um, uh, from a like kind of tactical perspective, we want to expand eventually to other, uh, cancers and syndromes outside of breast cancer. Um, uh, we're getting more pilots underway, but long-term our, our total, our entire mission is decreasing delayed diagnosis. So that's, that's what we see as moving the needle. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, we have two last questions for you that our listeners love. We have a lot okay. of aspiring founders that listen in. And the first one is if someone wanted to start a femtech company, what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Mm. Um, I think around hormones. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know specifically what, but, and I'm not talking like hormones with menopause. I'm talking menopause, there's starting to be some cool companies in, in that area, but I'm talking like um, pre-menopausal around hormones because they do all of our regulating and it's still so difficult for us to find um, information out about that. I would say also um, 
nutrition, I think, for women in in tandem with hormones. Um, I think STDs, I think there's some some innovation to be done there. There, There's already a really cool company that started with um, pregnancy tests, um, sticks, Mm -hmm. and they're starting to like expand to that. But so I think STDs, um, there's a lot that's happening in pharmacy around that. I think financing would be interesting, specific financing for women that's tailored to the way that we spend money, considering we manage the money. I love it. There is, you know, it's always a trick question actually, because the answer is everything, but I I could go on forever. (laughs) I love when people are like, wait, what do you mean? Because everything needs it. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. Pick one. Uh, And our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Yeah. I didn't even have to hesitate when I was thinking about this question. Um, Capital. Capital. Yep. And when you say capital, do you mean grants? Do you mean investors? Do you mean, what do you mean? I mean, all of it. Um, I think when we're talking investors specifically, although we've already established the femtech industry is over a trillion um, dollars in terms of market size, you know, what was, I think it was last year, only three-ish percent of the funding went towards femtech companies. Mm -hmm. That's a problem when we've already identified that everything also needs to be innovated in femtech. Um, So definitely from a capital perspective, fortunately, um, we've had the opportunity to go after quite a few grants. We have yet to receive them, mostly because they haven't closed yet. But um, I do think there's, if you get scrappy, there's quite a few grants out there. Um, I can't speak to whether or not they only go to men, but um, so I wouldn't say grants, but definitely investment capital for sure. 100%. And what do you think is going to change that? Um, Well, like you mentioned, I think as soon as we get more women who are managing the funds, managing the money that is being deployed, Mm -hmm. it makes it easier. Because instead of my first meeting with an investor having to explain the problem around how women get care and breast cancer and that whole patient journey, instead it starts with, yeah, like this happened to my mom, this happened to my sister, this happened to me. Yeah. Um, so um, we're at Femtech Focus, we're uh, in the process of raising a fund and we got accepted into Founder Institute VC Lab, the new program, and it's uh, an accelerator for emerging fund managers. They accepted about a hundred managers from around the world. So it's kind of cool. So there's like managers out of New Zealand. And yeah, South that's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. But something's really pissing me off, Caitlin. Uh-oh. <laughs> we're, like, we're like week three into this 12-week program. And uh, there's a bunch of white dudes that are making a fund for underrepresented founders. And we're I don't, so- I <laughs> and so we have like, part of the program is like, you're in these working groups, you give feedback and da-da-da. And I'm from Jersey and I don't give a F. I don't give an F. I just say it how it is. And so I'm like, why are you white men funding female founders? Tell me more. And they're like, what? like, here's all the statistics. And I'm like, okay, but okay. If you're doing a Jeep. So that one of the things is called the GP commit. They it's expected that the people running the fund put in 1% of the money. Let's excuse me and my budget for a second, but talking about these yeah. guys, they have money to do that. And I'm like, why don't you become an LP and a actual female founded female fund. Right. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah. And I'm like, 
because I mean, just, I mean, there's so many things wrong with that, but let's just start with where do they expect their deal, deal flow to come from? Like, how are they going to be the ones who can identify the holes in the market that can be like filled by, I don't know. Yeah. So it's just really, it's shocking to me because it's not even just like one dude. It's like a, like there's, I would say there's like at least minimally five of the funds in the hundred are two white dudes being like, we're going to fund founders of color. And I'm like, you know, like, please tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I don't, I'm not understanding your, but I think you're white. (laughs) So anyways, yeah, I'm like, okay, wow. This is really crazy. Um, yeah, we need women controlling capital, right? That's what we need. Um, Caitlin, this is so much fun. I think we're going to be friends. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, thanks so much for your time today and everything you're doing. Thank you. It was such a pleasure uh, just chatting with you this afternoon. Thank you for listening to my interview with Caitlin Christine, the founder and CEO of Gabby. Learn more at BeGabby, B-E-G-A-B-B-I dot com. Ready, Femme fans? Please be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at femtechfocus.org. While there, join our virtual community, become a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month. That'll give you access to all of our previously recorded events, including Femtech Fundamentals, which is our bi-weekly webinar that we put on to help founders build, launch, and succeed. Please consider setting up a monthly donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and depend on your donations to operate. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.